there's this fishing club that meets once a week or so to talk about fishing. They have these great meeting halls where uh, large groups come together and they hear someone give an inspiring speech about fishing techniques and, and things of that nature. They have some small groups that gather together and they, they talk about best places to go fishing and, and best practices for, for fishing. They even have a lot of literature uh, that they hand out about uh, fishing lures and things of that nature. They look and study about great fishermen of the past who were uh, some of the best anglers that the world has ever known. The only problem with this fishing club is that most of the people who are a part of the club never actually go fishing. Now you may be thinking, sounds like the weirdest thing I've ever heard, and you'd be right. You'd probably be thinking, there's no such thing as this fishing club that you're talking about, and you'd be right. But the church in America does exist, and the church in America is called to make disciples, and we have these Great sanctuaries where lots of people gather and hear uh, impassioned pleas from pastors about how we are supposed to be making disciples. We have groups that gather together and, and study about making disciples. And we have literature and books that are written about how we can be making disciples. And we study stories in the Bible about men and women long ago who made disciples. The only problem is that most of the people in our churches never actually make disciples. A church that doesn't make disciples is an oxymoron. It's unbiblical. Because this is our great commission. If we aren't making disciples, then what are we doing? Today we're going to continue in our series called On the Mountains. And throughout this series we're going through the Gospels looking at significant events that happened in the life of Jesus on the mountains. We see uh, many important things happening in Jesus' ministry and through his ministry into other people's lives on these mountaintop experiences. And today we come to the Mount of Great Commission. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. I want to read to you verses 16 through 20 this morning. The Word of God says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age." Today, as we study this passage of Scripture, I want us to think about what it means for us to make disciples. As you see here in the Great Commission, that's the centerpiece of the command, that we are to make disciples. And as you look at uh, the instructions around that command to make disciples, there are three things that I want us to uh, look at this morning. And the first is going. In verse 19, he says, Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations. The timing of this command shows its importance. Jesus gave this command to his disciples just before he was to leave them and ascend to go back to be with the Father. And final words carry weight. These are the last instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples. He had been walking with them for for three years at this point. He had been investing in them. He had been teaching them. He had been spending time with them, modeling for them, helping them, making disciples of them. And so the disciples understood the importance of this command because immediately they set about fulfilling the Great Commission once they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. How are they supposed to do this, this make disciples that Jesus is instructing to them? Well, Jesus' process of making disciples of them would serve as their template. In fact, the the Greek word that's used here by Matthew is the word mathetusite, which is translated here as as make disciples. And and this is the, the verb in the command that everything else in the Great Commission revolves around. This idea of making disciples. And at the beginning of the Great Commission, we see that we're given our target for making disciples. He says that you're to go to all the nations to make disciples. This is our audience. That, that phrase, all the nations, is, is the Greek phrase pantata ethne, which, which literally means all the ethne, all the ethnic groups. And so this is a a monumental task that Jesus is giving to, to his disciples. It means that the church is called to be in every place among every people in the world. I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. As Jesus has gathered his disciples together and he's giving them these final instructions, and he basically says to them, I want you to literally go everywhere in the world to every single people and tell them this good news. Now, that certainly means our town, and it certainly means our state, and it certainly means our country, but it doesn't only mean our town or our state or our country. You oftentimes hear people ask the question, aren't there enough lost people in our city? I mean, why are we going to the ends of the earth? And there are absolutely thousands of lost people who live in our city. Nobody is denying that. that. In fact, we as a church are trying to do everything that we possibly can to reach lost people for Jesus in the city of Knoxville. But that doesn't negate the fact that there are billions of lost people all over the world who are just as lost. You see, this isn't an either-or proposition. It's a both-and proposition. We need to reach Knoxville and the nations. That's why we end every single service by telling you that that's where you are sent, to Knoxville and to the nations. But the biggest difference between people who live in Knoxville, and people who live in other parts of the world, is that the people who live in Knoxville have access to the gospel. They've probably heard of Jesus before. They could go to church if they wanted, because there are 
hundreds of churches that exist here. But that isn't true in many parts of the world. There aren't churches to go to if a person wanted to go. There are many who have never even heard of the name of Jesus. I think about a mission trip that I was a part of at the very beginning of this year in Southeast Asia. We, for a week, went to many cities and and villages in this particular country, and we figured up at the end of the week that our team had probably shared the gospel with over 150 people throughout that week. And of those 150 people, only two had ever heard the gospel that we were telling them before. Just think about that for a moment. Only two out of 150. Extrapolate that out over an entire country, and you see the issue of lostness that's found in many of the places around the world. And that's never going to change unless the church starts going. Nick Ripken said that the church is to be a launching pad and not a resting place. You see, as the church, we ought to be broken over the 3,000 plus people groups in the world that are unreached. That's why our church has set this audacious goal of, of, of adopting an unreached people group on every inhabited continent of the world. Because it's not okay that there are billions of people around the world that have little to no access to the gospel. Because there are billions of of people who, instead of worshiping the one true and living God, are bowing before false gods who aren't worthy of their worship. Who are kneeling before the sun and the moon and the stars that are worshiping on high places and in dirty rivers. Who are following after dead prophets who can't save them. People who don't believe that a God even exists. Who are people who are following after religious rituals as a way to try and save themselves. And what they need is Jesus. Because without a relationship with him, these people will die apart from the Lord and they will spend eternity separated from God in hell. You see, we don't have time to waste. Carl F.H. Henry says that the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. We need to feel the urgency of this message. We need to feel the responsibility of this command to go. We need people with the courage to leave everything behind and go. And so we have to understand that part of this command to make disciples is that we would be going. But secondly, we see in the instruction here that we are to be baptizing. Verse 19 We're told to be baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so this this command to make disciples is really twofold. It involves evangelism and discipleship. In the Great Commission, we're told to make disciples, and under that umbrella, you have bound up the commands of evangelism and discipleship. And that's where we have to begin. Baptism is a symbol of the saving work that Christ has done in the heart of a believer. 
And so here, when, when we are told to baptize, it means that we are to evangelize lost people. You share the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ with them. You lead them to faith in Christ. And then as an outward expression of their faith in Jesus, they are baptized and brought into the church. This is the first step in making disciples. When Jesus called the disciples to follow after him, he was calling for them to put their trust and their faith in him. And when the disciples chose to follow after Jesus, they were placing their faith in him. They were placing themselves under his authority as their Lord. Think about Peter's profession of faith in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16, where he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He was expressing his faith in who Jesus is. And the disciples understood that this is what Jesus meant when he told them to go make disciples. How do I know that? Because they immediately set about evangelizing in the book of Acts. They received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, and the very first thing that they do is start sharing the gospel. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Peter stood up with the eleven, he raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews, all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. At the end of his sermon that he gives there uh, at the temple, he says to them, Let all the house of Israel know that certainty, with certainty, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And listen to what he says to them. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They received this commission. They were given the promised Holy Spirit, and the very first thing that they began to do was to share the gospel and to bring people into the faith and to baptize them. And it didn't stop there at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 3, we find Peter up preaching again in Solomon's portico. In Acts chapter 4, we find Peter and John arrested for preaching. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, the Bible tells us the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. The gospel was spreading, disciples were increasing because of evangelism. And so if we are to make disciples as a church, then we have to set about evangelizing as well. We have to pray to the Lord for opportunities to share about his love with others. Because if you do that, God is going to give them to you. This is God's plan. This is God's will that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so if we are asking him for opportunities to share the good news, I guarantee you that he's going to give them to you. And so we need to be aware of opportunities to share the gospel. 
Sometimes it's just that we're not paying any attention to what's going on around us. We're not sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in conversations that we're having with other people. And we need to be bold and willing to share. We can't be silent. We can't be ashamed. Because if we, if we say that our mission is to make disciples and we never share the gospel with anybody, then we're kidding ourselves. And that's like, that's like saying that you're an auto mechanic, but you don't work on cars. Or that you're a, a hospital worker, but you never help sick people. Or that you're a salesman, but that you never make a sale. If we never share the gospel, we're not making disciples. I read a great book recently called Evangelism as Exiles. And I want to read to you an excerpt from this book. He says, in my experience, many missionaries, even volunteers on short-term mission trips, tend to consciously approach every moment in relation to mission. They saturate their days with prayer. They consider the intended or unintended consequences of their mannerisms and their behavior. They're careful how they spend their money, how they dress, how they interact with others. They demonstrate the utmost respect and honor for locals, even to people drastically different from them. They view random encounters as God-ordained opportunities, so they purposefully speak with just about anybody, shopkeepers, waiters, taxi drivers, about their faith. But somehow, when we're in our home country and going about our daily lives, we lack that self-awareness and mission focus. We slip into routines. We lose intentionality. And this is actually one of the dangers of mission trips. They can perpetuate our compartmentalized view of mission. Outreach becomes what we do at certain times and places. Evangelism is an event or a program. So we ignore the interconnectedness of witness and daily work. We struggle to live out the truth that effectiveness in evangelism demands both our words and also our way of life. See, this author says that, you know, we're on a mission trip, we're really intentional. We're really purposeful. Why don't we live like that all the time? You see, we've got to come to the understanding that as Christians, we are living, breathing, walking, talking, gospel bearers. And it isn't optional. This isn't something that just the pastors do. This isn't something that just a select group of super Christians do. This was Jesus' command for all of his followers to do. And that includes you. It includes me. So we have to be baptizing. The third thing that we see in this passage is that we are to be teaching. Verse 20, Jesus says, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So under this umbrella of making disciples, we are to be baptizing or evangelizing, but we're also to be teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded or discipling people. Now, how many of you, when you came home from the hospital with your brand new baby boy or, or baby girl, or with Catherine and I the first time, a baby boy and baby girl, uh, and you set them down on the couch, and you said to them, all right, grow up. Anybody do that with your baby when you came home from the hospital? Of course not. You stayed up 
long nights nurturing the baby, and you, you fed the baby, and you made sure the baby had everything that, that it needed, and, and you loved the baby, and you took care of the baby. But I'm afraid that that's oftentimes what we do with baby Christians. They're born again. They're brand new baby Christians, and we plop them down on the church pew, and we say, all right, grow up. And then we're surprised when we have churches that are full of people who still act like spiritual babies. It's because they never grew. Think about what the Word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Peter says, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the Word so that you can grow up into your salvation. Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14 He says that although by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be grown up, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk and not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. And so the disciples understood That in order to make disciples, they would have to teach them the commands of Christ. They would have to disciple them just like Jesus had done with them. And so after Pentecost, and they baptized these 3,000 people that day, what did they begin to do? In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we learn that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What did they begin to do? Began teaching them, discipling them. Because we're not going to become like our master, like our teacher, if we're not spending time under his teaching. And so if we as, as a church are going to make disciples, then we have to take discipleship seriously. You have to be a disciple. You have to be a learner. You have to hunger for the Word of God. You need to spend time each day in God's Word, learning and growing and hearing from the Lord. You need to come to worship services expectantly, hearing God's Word preached and applying it into your heart. You need to go to be a part of a connect group where you're able to study God's Word with a smaller group. But we also have to be teaching and training others who are new in their faith to teach them and to to show them what it is to to know God and to love God and to to follow after God. You see, we don't evangelize the lost and lead them to faith and then leave them alone. We have to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. So who are you discipling? Who are you walking beside to teach them what it means to know God and to love God and to follow after God? Who is growing in their faith right now because you're discipling them? If we say that our mission is to make disciples and we're not discipling anybody, then we're kidding ourselves. Again, this isn't optional. This isn't just the work of the pastors. This isn't just the work for a select group of super Christians. 
This was Jesus' command for all of his followers to do. And that includes you. It includes me. And so here on the Mount of the Great Commission, we as the church received our marching orders. So Christians, this morning, we have been challenged to make disciples. And if the church, the capital C church, would take seriously the command to make disciples, then it wouldn't be plateaued or in decline. It wouldn't even be growing by addition here and there. It would be multiplying. We can either be like the fishing club that that talks about and reminisces about and celebrates others who fish, or we can get busy making disciples. And so maybe this morning, Christians, you need to look into your heart and answer honestly, how are you going about making disciples? Are you going? Are you evangelizing? Are you discipling? And if not, why not? When the command is so clear from our Lord. There are others this morning who don't have a relationship with Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. And I want you to know this morning that when Jesus sent out his followers to make disciples, he was sending them out to tell you the good news that Jesus saves. That he had died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. That he was placed in the grave but rose from the dead on the third day. And that through his death and through his resurrection, we can have forgiveness of our sins. We can have life that's abundant and life that's eternal through faith in Jesus. And they were sent out. And we are sent out to share this good news with people that didn't know Jesus. And so if if you don't have that relationship in your life today, I want to encourage you and plead with you this morning to turn from your sin and to call on Jesus to forgive you and to save you. If that's a decision that you want to make in your heart today, then I want to encourage you right now to pick up your cell phone, and text the word DECIDE to the number 865-234-3241. We want to encourage you in this decision. We want to talk with you about what it means to know the Lord and what it means to, to follow after Jesus. We want to get you plugged in into a church family that can help you to grow and that where you can be discipled. And so if this is a decision you're making today, then let it be known right now. Pick up your phone. And text the number, decide. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for your word, thanking you for how you have spoken to us today, Lord, for how you have challenged us today. Lord, for Christians this morning, I pray that we would search our hearts Lord, as we think about going and evangelizing and discipling, Lord, that as a church that we would take seriously this command to make disciples. Lord, this isn't something that we can opt into or opt out of. God, this is literally what you told us to do. And so if this is not what we're about, then what are we about? So God, I pray that you would convict our hearts 
Lord, that you would grow us, Lord, as disciple makers. And God, I pray for those this morning that are making this decision to follow after you, Lord, that are putting their faith in you as their Savior and as their Lord. Lord, that you would give them courage and boldness to take that step of faith. And Lord, as a church family, that we could help support them and disciple them and encourage them in their growth and their newfound faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before uh, you log off this morning, I want to say thank you for tuning in with us uh, and for worshiping the Lord together. I pray that this time has been uh, a time of encouragement to you, a time of challenge for you uh, as you apply God's Word into, into your life. I want to give you a couple of announcements before uh, we are logging off. The first is make sure that you're staying up to date uh, with all that's going on, and it's all going to be changing again soon uh, as the state and the country begins to reopen. And so please uh, keep, in, keep in touch with uh, our social media and on our website, wallacenox.com, uh, to stay up to date with what's going on here uh, and, and our plans going forward into the future. I want to encourage you, if you have children, uh, to tune in to our Wallace Knox Kids YouTube page. At 11 o'clock, they're going to have uh, kids worship, and it's a great time. I do it every Sunday morning with our kids during this time at 11 uh, of, of fun and worship uh, on a kid's level. So uh, make sure you turn in, tune in uh, to that in just a few minutes. And so you've heard your mission for today. You are now sent to Knoxville and the Nations. <laughs> All right, Hebrew. Yeah, that'll, that'll be easy to just get. Yeah, go ahead and get this as well because I'll, I'll go back and forth to hide the text. Hebrews 5. Okay. Okay. In Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, the Bible says, Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk and not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Now, you're welcome. 